Why don't you just try it? <laughs> oh, praise God. <clears throat> praise God. Well, I think you can feel God any place. Praise God. But there is uh, something about just getting up close to where people are going to be praying, where people have been singing. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Galatians 5, if you would. If you'd stand for the reading of the word, I would appreciate it. Galatians 5, and I read verse 1. I read this last Sunday night, but I'm not preaching on the subject of being free that I preached on last Sunday night. Galatians 5, verse 1, Stand, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And then let's go to verse 4. Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Basically what he's saying, if you think just keeping the commandments without the Lord is going to save you, won't do it. Verse 8, This persuasion cometh not from him that called you. And verse 9, A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And you may be seated. And I want to talk about a little leaven. Now I, I want to accent the word little. A little leaven. It does not take a lot of leaven for it to be effective for whatever purpose you use it for. Now, most of you are familiar with the Jews and their tradition concerning the Passover, that they ate unleavened bread. The Passover uh, goes all the way back to the days in which they were to leave from the bondage they were in in Egypt. And basically what the word Passover means they were to kill a lamb place the blood on the sides of the door and on the lintel of the door and they were to make this unleavened bread that's without yeast or without fermentation when the death angel was to come it was to pass over or skip their household and that's the word Passover has been used by Christians, and of course by Jews up until, well, I guess they still use it, but uh, goes all the way back to 1200 B.C. And it's a simple term. This means that the death angel was to skip or pass over their house and not visit them with death. Leaven then became... Uh, a type of sin or fermentation became a type of sin. So <clears throat> the fermentation, which is actually enzymes that causes decay or rot. Uh, when you eat bread that, that uh, 
has yeast in it. That's, that's what you're eating. Now, all enzymes are not bad, but they can be bad, or they can cause a bad effect if the leaven reaches a particular stage of decay. Now, some of you are deer hunters, and some of you hunt wild game, and if you hunt and kill a deer and you go hang the deer outside, that's the reason why you hang it outside, it's because, because enzymes begin to work in the flesh, and they actually begin to rot or decay. It sounds terrible, doesn't it? If you go in some of the finest restaurants and they have aged beef, that's exactly what they're talking about. All enzymes are not bad. But if in the event that the animal hangs too long, then uh, it's so long for the animal. And you don't want to be around it. See? And the Scripture <coughs> is talking about the extreme necessity of keeping ourselves free of sin, that the least little sin, even though you may be able to cope with it, you may be able to deal with it, if it is left unchecked, and all it takes is just time, that uh, this thing can bring about a horrible condition of corruption. So, if there is sin left unattended to in the human heart, or could we say in the human being, then there is a potential of all sin because even though that little amount of sin seems to be so harmless, maybe it's nothing more than just a bad attitude or maybe just a little bit of a habit that you have that, that's contrary to the Word of God. If it goes unchecked, there is the potential of all sin. I didn't say that a person would become guilty of all sin. I didn't say that if you have a bad attitude that one of these days you're going to walk, walk in and, and rob Anchor's bank. Now, I didn't say that, but I did say that the potential is there. And every now and then, you do hear, we've got a couple of people work at Anchor Bank, I think. <coughs> I forgot about that. So, <clears throat> when you look out the window, remember, all these people walking around out there with sin have the potential of robbing your bank. <laughs> no, don't do that. <clears throat> I didn't say that they would. I say that if sin goes unchecked, the potential is there. And this is the reason why that quite often we're just shocked beyond words when someone comes up and tells us of, of some particular deed that someone, or crime that someone committed, you say, how could they do that? They're such a nice person. People be appear before judges and, and character witnesses come in and say, this person, this is erratic behavior. This person never acts like this. But they did. The thing of it is they did. What caused them 
to all of a sudden just go berserk and act like some kind of a, you know, uh, an individual that, that just, that's just out of character for them. Why? Well, we're dealing with it today. Now, all of us have a remedy for sin. I'd like for you to turn to Luke 13. I've read this scripture so many times, and I've, I use this all the time in witnessing to people. Luke 13, <clears throat> the remedy for sin. Luke 13, 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3. Luke 13, 5. I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I don't know if you've ever uh, had a vacuum cleaner salesman to come to your to your house or not. I've had a few. And uh, all of these guys bring this super-duper vacuum cleaner. Now, someone asked me, you know, which is the best vacuum cleaner? <clears throat> well, it happens to be the one that is presented by the most recent salesperson. That's the best. doesn't make any difference what you have. It's not as good as the most recent one. But they have a little ways in which, I mean, you know, you, you just be scared to death not to buy the vacuum cleaner. <clears throat> they bring in this, this, this floodlight, and they just spray the whole atmosphere with this light. And you see all these dust particles coming down. You ever seen that? You've seen the light shine through a window, magnified through a window, maybe early morning light. And you turn over to bed and you look and you see all this dust. It's just floating around like this. I remember one general conference I went to, and I don't know why I was tired that night. Sometimes the general conference services are great, and sometimes they're promotional and informative, but not so great. You know, some of you have been there, and you know what they're all. So I, they had all these huge floodlights, and I got to looking up, you know. You know, if you want to appear to be spiritual, you always look up. You know. <coughs> so <laughs> I was looking up, and I saw all these this dust and everything. I thought, man, this place is filled with dust. Look at all the dust. Now, <clears throat> while it may be a gimmick that they're using to, to scare you, the truth of the matter is that they're just unfolding something that you cannot see. Look around. Do you see any dust flying around here? I'll assure you that it's here. Check the filters on the furnace. Now, we don't have someone going up there sprinkling dirt and dust particles in, in those filters. That's not how they get dirty. They pull that out of the air. It, it is right here in the air. Now, the thing about it is that these vacuum cleaner salesmen, then they start telling you about all these dust mites. You've got them all over your bed. And you've got them, you know. And they eat on, on particles of the skin. That You know, you shed your skin just like a snake. Well, not just like a snake. A snake sheds his. Every now and then, you're just constantly shedding yours. You know? And, and this is what they say. Oh. And, and, and so, <clears throat> I got to wear certain places I went. I, all I do is sneeze and cough. And so I went down to 
a specialist, and he, he ran tests on me, and they said, well, you are allergic to dust mites. I said, I don't have mites. <coughs> well, that's not what we're talking about, you know. But uh, they're little tiny creatures that you can't see with your eyes. And they crawl all over the place. You know, you just start itching. I see some of you scratching already. <laughs> Man. They're just everywhere, you know. <coughs> right, they're all over the place. They're all, they're all over the place. So the doctor prescribed for Sister Grant and I uh, a big uh, air purifier. It's supposed to purify a house up to 2,400 square feet, I think. And just like these bug zappers, every now and then you hear this thing go, it just fries this, you know, these, when these dust mites have a family reunion inside of our purifier, it just zaps them all pieces, just burns them up. They just turn into ashes. Well, I said all that to say that there are certain things in the spirit world that uh, are floating around. And the, the Bible talks about that. The Bible talks about us not keeping company with fornicators or idolaters or covetous people. And the reason why is because even though, now when we say covetous people, you're ta we're talking about people who basically by nature are greedy. They like to gain. They, they like to just, you know, their whole life is, oh, look what I have. And you know, you just, man, just, they, they put too much emphasis on, you know, what they have gained, what they have collected. Now, the reason why the Bible says you have to watch out about fellowship with these kind of people because those spirits will get on you. That the spirit world is filled. Now, the purpose of repentance is for us to be able to take all those things that collect inside of us and when we repent, it is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that zaps it out and takes care of it. It's gone. It's gone forever. And if we didn't have that, if we could really see what's taking place, we'd see ourselves just collecting and collecting and collecting and collecting and collecting. And, and just no way to get rid of it. It's there. So God has given us this remedy. Now, we must understand that for the most part, when you talk about repentance, people make reference then to a particular class of our society. Basically, repentance is for the sinner. Now, a sinner, we are all sinners when we consider the word in a particular perspective. But when it comes to the overall category, the Bible, when it talks of sinners, it's talking about people who on a regular basis practice sin. And when I say practice sin, their intent is to practice sin. So, they practice sin, and that's just a part of their life. They, they, they give no thought to it other than, and this is just the way I want to be, and 
So the Bible talks about sinners. Now, when we use the word repentance, most people think that word surely applies to that particular segment of our society, that class or that type. Does it? It sure does. But it does not just apply to that particular class. And I use the term sinner, and I said it sometimes applies to us, and even though we do not practice sin, per se, and even though we're not in that, that category, technically speaking, if we never sinned and never had the possibility of sinning or the potential of sin, then we would never need the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ but the one time and only one time. And that's the time in which He saved us. But the Bible teaches us that repentance is not just for the unbeliever or the sinner, but it is also for the believer. So when we read a statement like this, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now Jesus was speaking to a good number of people. He no doubt had some of his own followers there. And throughout the scripture, it is stressed that believers and non-believers alike need to repent. Now, I want to I point that out. That is extremely important for you to understand. Believers and non-believers alike. The, the church in Ephesus in Revelation 2, and some of you are so familiar with this passage, the church in Ephesus... Uh, it was one of the seven churches of Asia that John wrote letters to. But even though the Lord told this group how great they were and all the things that they had done, in verse 4 he says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. Go back and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Now, he's calling on a church to do that. He's calling on a church that he bragged on. Now, basically, it'd be like this. That all of a sudden, we receive uh, a message of prophecy, or tongues and interpretation. Some of you may not be familiar with this, but uh, in the Bible, they... They practice this. Uh, it is uh, certainly a valid spiritual way in which God talks to his people. So someone gives a message in an unknown tongue. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord moves upon them. They speak in an unknown Somebody else does this, and then somebody interprets this. Let's say the Lord says, I want to commend you because that you have kept the faith, and he goes on and on and on. Oh, you feel so great. And you say, Boy, this must have been of God. You know, most things that make us feel good is always of God. I mean, it has to be, you know. So we just feel so good about it. 
Then all of a sudden the service goes on. Let's say we're in a prayer meeting and we're praying and we're talking. All of a sudden somebody else gives a message in tongues and interpretation then comes forth. And the Lord says, I want you to pray and repent. Now most of us would say, well, what's going on here? And we would automatically brand the first message as being from God and the other message is from I don't know who, but it wasn't God. Why? Why would we do that? Because they seem to be so contradictory. But I think if you take in consideration the letters to the seven churches of Asia in which God obviously commended all of these churches on some things, some more than others, that almost in the same sentence, almost out of the same breath, he brags on them and then tells them that they need to repent. Sounds a little bit contradictory. But you see, unless the church at Ephesus repents today, and continues to use the remedy in which sin is erased or eradicated from the human heart, there won't be anything to brag on later on. It won't be present. Because it will be totally eroded. It works like leaven that is placed in a basket. After a while, the whole basket is full of leaven. Now you put a little leaven in the basket and, and you just have a small percentage of leaven there. But leave it in there. After a while, everything is corrupt. I think sometimes we as Christians, let me just speak to you who claim to be on Christ's side, we as Christians do not understand the extreme importance of this word, this little tiny word, repent. Why? Because we spend all of our day trying to do good things. And how could a person who spends their days trying to be sweet and nice and kind need to go before God in true repentance. Because redemption that is spoken of in the Bible is not complete until such a time that this mortal body is changed into immortality. I'm amazed in the sports world when people reach a certain class or break certain records. They call them the immortal. They're not immortal. It's just another way of calling attention to the flesh and making the flesh feel puffed up. And if there's anything that's, that's galaxies away from immortality, it's puffed up flesh, I can tell you. Because it's totally contrary it's totally contrary to the word itself. So we like to idolize immortality that exists 
in the sports world. There's no such thing. Now, I'm not saying that, that, that a man can't make his heart right, but I'm saying that his, his accomplishments on a football field or a baseball field or wherever he is is not what causes him to reach the state of immortality. It takes the blood, the power, the spirit of Almighty God, and it won't happen until the Lord changes him when that great day of the Lord appears. It'll have nothing to do with his earthly accomplishments. So, <clears throat> repentance is for the saved as well as the unsaved. I keep talking about this from Second Corinthians 7. You know, here's something that is extremely important for us to understand. The Bible tells us that... Uh, the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness shall be filled. That's, Jesus told us that in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And so when we talk to a person about praying, we tell the individual he needs to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I'm amazed at the people who understand they need to do it, but they just seem to never reach the point in which they can really quest for God or they're hungry for God. Well, the reason why they don't is because they really never see, they never get the revelation of just how horrible life can be and the consequences of life when it is mingled with sin. They don't see that. And so they fail to take responsibility for their own actions knowing that they're living a self-willed life. They're doing exactly what they want to do. And all of a sudden, through preaching or whatever, some revelation comes to them, and they open up and they understand. Well, when they begin to repent, when they begin to repent, this is the time that that hunger starts to occur inside of them. Because in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 11... We know that the Scripture talks to us about the fruits of repentance. Now, the fruits of repentance are this, and I'll just read them. I won't read the whole verse. But it brings about a carefulness in you. It also brings about a clearing. It brings about indignation. That's righteous anger against iniquity. It brings about a vehement desire. Now, if you notice in, in the, the book of Revelation, Revelation 2, when the letter went forth to, to Ephesus, that's what had happened to them. That's why the Lord says, repent, go back and do your first works. If you don't, I'll remove your candlestick. Why? They had lost their first love, that desire, that love, that passion for God wasn't there. Now, I said all that to say this, that Christians sometimes can lose that same hunger. We're telling people, you need to be hunger, hungry for God. And until you really get sincere, you will not be hungry for God. And yet we can say that and not be sincere ourselves. We can even tell our little children, now this is what you need to do. 
You need to pray for the Holy Ghost and such. And we can't understand why our little darling son or daughter, why they want really cry and pray and weep over the fact they're a sinner. And yet we don't weep over the fact that we are sinners. We don't weep over the fact that we don't do certain things. In other words, repentance is not just for that class of society that practices sin, but it is also for the other class of society that's trying their dead level best not to sin. It's for us also. If you've, if you've all of a sudden lost the desire to attend the house of God, what do you need to do? You need to repent. If you've lost the desire to sing and praise the Lord, what do you need to do? You need to repent. If you've lost the desire to attend the prayer meetings, and didn't we have a great one last night? You need to repent. If there are things in your life that, that are much more uh, important than what the church is doing, you need to repent. And you may say, what if I don't repent? A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. See, Ephesus had a lot of things the Lord would brag about, but if they didn't find that place to repent, there wouldn't be anything to brag about a little bit later on. And this is why the Lord says, if you don't do this... What's going to happen? Your candlestick's going to be removed. Now the candlestick, that is making reference to the revelation, the light of the Word. And let me tell you something. When the light starts going out inside, and you don't really stay focused in on Jesus, and you don't see your need for righteousness, you don't see your need for holiness, you don't see your need for purity. You don't see your need for weeping and crying and praying and seeking God. You are treading on very, 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 very thin ice. You don't realize that, but that's what's happening to you. Now, I preached a message <clears throat> probably... Ten years ago, entitled, The Cross Removed. And it was about forgiveness. And I just want to call your attention to this message. Uh, see, Jesus said, If you forgive men not their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you of your trespasses. In other words, if you do not possess the ability to forgive someone their sin, then God says, It is only logical, it's only right then, that when you sin, that I will not forgive you. Now, the gist of the message, or the summary of the message, was this. That a person who has an unforgiving spirit cannot be saved. And the reason why they can't is because they totally remove everything from them that has the ability to save them. So the message I entitled, The Cross Removed. What if all of a sudden... 
you woke up to realize that Jesus Christ did not die on the cross, that there was no such thing as the cross, but yet you still had your comprehension that it would take the cross to save you, what would you do? Did you see the, the picture in the paper today of the 10-year-old, I believe daughter was it, on the shoulders? Wasn't that the most horrible picture you've ever seen of the starvation? Wasn't in Somalia. What country was it in? I forgot now. Sudan. It was, it, I'm, I'm telling you, I just, I couldn't, I, I just, I can't see how anybody can live like that. Now, I said that to say the only thing that's going to save this 10-year-old child and the mother alive, somebody's got to bring some food. That's the only thing. Now, if the cross is the only thing that's going to save the Christian, and you know the cross is the only thing, and all of a sudden the cross is removed, and it will stay removed, and you will not be able to find it unless... Unless you forgive, it just seems very practical to me that a person would say, okay, I want to forgive. Now, I said that to say this. Inasmuch as the cross is removed from an individual's life who harbors bitterness, some of the fruits of an unforgiving spirit are manifest in actions such as holding grudges and gossiping about people and this is the reason why the bible comes down so hard on people who do these things wouldn't it also be true that the cross is removed from anybody's life who won't repent i mean what good is calvary what good is the blood if you don't take advantage of it what good is it and if we do not constantly take advantage of it, then if we never ask God to forgive us, then, then, then what's going to take place? Well, it, it's, you know, it, there, there's no way to cleanse yourself. Had a couple of the boys out feeding some cows for me. I got one black Angus cow, and she just likes to get in the mire. Dear, you cannot believe. And we've had all this muck and everything. This cow just lays down in this. Troy and Jason were feeding this cow, and they looked at that cow and said, Ugh! I said, well, the thing about it is there's, there's no rain falling or anything. There's no way for this cow to cleanse herself. You know, they'll lick around on each other, and they'll... Stand out in the rain. She has no way of taking a bath. I said, now this is probably the way you'd look, Troy, if you never took a bath. <laughs> now you just think about it for a while. What if all of a sudden you just really had no way of cleansing your body? You had no way of washing your clothes. What would you be like in a couple of weeks? Well, just think about it. What would you be like? What would take place? You ever been sick in bed with the flu and you just didn't feel like getting up and taking a shower and you've had a burning up fever and 
and sweaty and the sheets get sweaty and the pillowcases get sweaty and your hair gets all sweaty. First thing you want to do when you get to feeling a little bit better is when you possibly can, you get up and do what? Take a shower. Clean yourself up. Comb your hair. You just feel better over the fact that you look better. Take those sheets off and put them in the laundry and put on clean sheets and everything. You're destroying just thousands and thousands thousands of of dust mites germs all this really I read a story of some uncivilized people living in a particular country in a society and they said what they did in the wintertime when it got cold they, they just put on these these uh, garments and most of them were made of skins of animals and they never did take a bath and then when it started getting warm because the garments were tattered and everything they just start tearing them off and they'd tear them off down they'd always leave one on and then come fall of the year they'd start just putting these things back on and you feature what life was like and we're talking about people we're talking about something that's extremely important. We're talking about people who will not repent. Now, you may say, well, those are horrible stories. The reason why they're horrible is because that that's exactly the way they are. But my story about sin may not appear to be that way because you can't see yourself like God sees you you can't see the inside like God sees the inside first Corinthians 5 now this is this is certainly talking about fellowship with unbelievers especially those who have been involved in fornication that's that's the subject but nevertheless I think it does apply on an individual basis first Corinthians 5 verse 6. Your glorying is not good. In other words, they were bragging over the fact that they, they were tolerant of fornication. Now let me just, I'm going to put something in here. Uh, I might step on some toes. So if you have your shoes shine real good, put them up underneath you. There is a lot of bragging in the religious community today about toleration. You know, we've got to tolerate people. Well, you may say, well, Brother Grant, do you believe that? Well, let me put it this way. The Bible says we should love our enemies. It doesn't say anything about tolerating. Love them. I think love casts a different shadow on the relationship than just toleration. Because when we consider tolerating someone, it just simply means, well, <clears throat> I'm putting it the way it's been used, that that, you know, if somebody has all these weaknesses, don't worry about it. We all have weaknesses. Don't, don't give any thought to it. Now, that is not what the Bible teaches. Well, you may say, well, explain the situation of love. Jesus Christ does not tolerate sin, but he loves the sinner. Now, I said that to say this. There's some pretty hard, fast rules 
in the Bible when it comes to particular people who do certain things. And the reason why is because just like some diseases are more contagious than others. You know, back when we had the polio epidemic, I don't know if it was epidemic, but when we had the scare back in the 50s, you know, you had no fear of going in a house where somebody had polio because they say it's a non-communicable disease. In other words, they can't just breathe on you and you go out and all of a sudden you got this hurting in the joints and muscles and all of a sudden you're, you're crippled. That's not how it works. But some diseases are extremely communicable. Some of the viruses going around today, they've hit pretty close to home, haven't they? My wife was in bed sick for a whole week. So certain things are more apt to come your way and affect you than other things. And this is what he's dealing with. So, they're dealing with fornication. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6, it says, Your glory is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Just a little leaven now, not a, not a, not a whole lot, but a little leaven. Now, it's ta- this is talking about a church that will tolerate the ongoing practicing of certain sins, more specifically fornication. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sanctified for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So sincerity and truth should be practiced, should be practiced how? In purity, in holiness. So this is basically what he's talking about. Now let's just go on and and read the verse 9. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, for then must you needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. In other words, he's talking about don't keep company with certain people because if you do, you're going to end up believing exactly the way they believe you'll end up practicing exactly what they practice. Now, there's a scripture that seems to have very little bearing, but I want to read this, bearing in this message, and that's from Luke 22, verse 31. And the Lord said unto Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. You know what Satan wants to do? What do you think sifting does? is the process of breaking you down. That's what he's saying. Now, notice he called him Simon. Now, we know him as Simon Peter. The word Peter means rock. Now, it means a smaller rock or pebble, but at least it's something that cannot be sifted. But the word Simon means shifting Sands. 
And when Jesus talked to him, he didn't say, Peter, Satan. No, he said, Simon. He referred to him as shifting sand. Satan wants to take you and shift you around and sift you around. Now, God has a will for every man that's ever walked on the face of the earth. Importance in life is discovered when you find out what your mission is to be. And every man, if he fully understood that he has a mission, that God loves him, and he cannot be happy until he fulfills that mission, you'd be seeking for that. But let me say this, inasmuch as God has a purpose and a will for you, Satan also has an idea, a purpose, and he has a will for you. Satan hath desired to have you. You listening to me? Satan hath desired to have you. Why? That he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Do you know that Jesus Christ is behind you? He wants you to be righteous. He wants you to be holy. That's why he deals with you when I preach the way I preached this morning. That's why you can feel that tugging inside of you. He goes on to say, And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Oh my. Let's turn to Galatians 2. And let's read verse 18. Galatians 2. <clears throat> verse 18. And this is something that Paul is basically talking about justification by faith without the law. He goes also into Christians, Christians who have been in the process, in the great sieve of Satan, where they are listening to the will and the desires of Satan. Now look at this in verse 18. For if I build again the things which I destroyed... I'm amazed. <clears throat> I'm amazed at how many people that are sifted through the will of Satan, how that all of a sudden they just lose their convictions. I use the phrase, they lose their brains. I'm amazed. Let me just, let me just tell you some situations that I think that, <clears throat> that is... <clears throat> See, if God's not having His way in your life, who is? If God's not having His way in your life, who is? You may say, I am. Well, that may be right, but it won't stay that way. And the reason why it won't stay that way is because that if you're having your way, separate and apart from divine help, see, you're no match for Satan. Nobody is. I am not, you are not, no one is. So if God's not having His way in my life and I'm having my own way, you know what's going to happen? I will ultimately surrender to Satan. 
I will do that. Because there's no such thing as just a man living independent. In other words, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in God, and I don't believe in the devil. I'm just a, a non-believer of anything. There's no such thing as that. You'll find people who say they're that way. Isn't it strange that they always end up fighting the Christian cause and they leave the evil causes alone? Have you ever noticed that? Why? Because they change sides and they never know that they do that. They endorse one or the other and they never know that they endorse one or the other. So if God's not having his way in your life, who is? Someone is. A little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. Now, I just talked with a man on the telephone this week. Actually, I talked with two men. They were One man was from out of state, and he had a concern about a good friend of his. And then the friend called me and uh, was someone who was involved in the ministry at, at one time. Uh, and it wasn't long ago. So I began to talk with this man, who was a very good friend of mine. And I said, well, <clears throat> I just want to encourage you, if I can, to just keep on serving God. He said, well, you know, I've lost my ministry and lost my family. I said, well, is there anything I can do? He said, just pray. Well, here's the way it went, okay? <clears throat> we stopped praying. I was uh, pastoring. We stopped praying. Now, we encouraged people to pray, and we did pray. But when I say we stopped praying, you know, there was no real questing for God. Seemed to be no. We had a newer home and had a good job, and I was up for promotion. Church was small. We stopped praying. Now, my wife was good friends with another minister, not a pastor, but another minister, his wife. And uh, my wife got a job, and so as a result, then with the ladies, you know, that we work with, because uh, we weren't praying, because we weren't seeking God, uh, she began to fellowship with these people. Uh, I'm not for sure just how long it took, he said, but after a while, you know, I remember being in a grocery store and uh, we were getting things to drink. My wife just picked up some wine coolers and she just kind of made a joke about it. And uh, I said something about it. She said, oh, well, they're not too bad. In fact, I, I think they taste pretty good. Well, what happened was when we were with the ladies, you know, they 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 stopped in at a at a bar. First, I sat in a car. After two or three trips, I sat in a car. For two or three trips, I sat in a car, and then I thought, well, it's not going to hurt me to go inside. I mean, I don't have to do what they're doing. So I went inside. Eat a nice big hamburger and drank a coke. Well. <clears throat> Now, where every day we were stopping by. I never felt so comfortable, but then one day the discomfort seemed to leave. I didn't feel comfortable, but I didn't feel too, too bad about it either. Now, remember, we're talking about a little leaven, leaven of the whole lump. 
Now, what happened was that my wife, uh, when she was asked what, you know, what she'd like to drink, she said, uh, uh, then her friend looked at her and said, why don't you just drink a wine cooler? So, oh, I guess. I. So the wine cooler came to the table. Well, that's the reason why the wine coolers ended up in the grocery box basket. Then the problem was that <clears throat> I found out that my wife ended up drinking something a little stronger than a wine cooler. Now, this didn't happen overnight. We're talking about something that digressed over a period of a couple of years. But what are you going to look like inwardly if you go two years without repenting? Do you think of that? What are you going to look like? What's the inside going to be like? What if the cross is removed? For two years, and you have absolutely no way of cleansing yourself. You think about it. Now, unless you think in this line of logic, you can never understand what's going on in the spirit world. So we get something a little stronger. After a while, it's not one, it's two. And after a while, my wife gets a little silly. Then some guy comes over and talks to her. He seems to be attracted to my wife. My wife is attracted to him. And then one night, my wife wanted to go out with the girls. Wasn't stopping by anymore on the way home. Go out with the girls. What girls are you talking about? Well... You know, friends. You know, we have to be friends with people in the world, otherwise we can't win them. Isn't that right? Sounds great. But I noticed when she came out, the way she was dressed, it wasn't quite... Something was wrong. I knew. I, I just knew something not quite right. And I said, honey, is everything all right? Well, what's wrong with wearing? I never said anything. Obviously, she felt this way. She didn't feel comfortable. She went out with the girls. She didn't get home to real late, and I was asleep. Thought I smelled something on her breath. Thought I smelled it, but I wasn't for sure. I'm not going to accuse her of anything. Then I happened to come home when she wasn't expecting me and the kids were the babysitter. And she was really all dressed up and ready to go out the door. I said, where are you going? She didn't want to tell me. I found out later she went and met this man. Then she chronically started missing church because she was always sick. She had a headache. Didn't feel good. Worked hard today. Need rest. 
remember, we're not praying. Then she came in to tell me the horrible news of her best friend who was married to one of our ministers who had informed her husband she was leaving him. And I remember how he says, oh, God. How could she do this, she said. They're such a fine couple. Well, her stage of digression, the leaven had just consumed more of the whole than it had in this lady, this sister's life. Now, this, this brother tells me, I'm out of the ministry. My wife is divorcing me. She has an affair going. My three children, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm frustrated. I'm confused. I keep telling myself, what went wrong? You just told me what went wrong. You just told me. You see what you did. You begin to build again the things that you destroyed. Your firm conviction slipped. Let me tell you something. Listen to me very carefully. Some of you couples are lukewarm. Some of you are just plain cold. And if you don't think the story I just gave to you can be real in your life, you continue to let this go unchecked, and you will find out. Because we have people sitting right among us who are suffering drastically as a result of situations that occurred. They had no control over it, but they couldn't stop it. They couldn't check it. A little left. Just a little. And it all started in such a little innocent way. Sharon, I want you to come on for singing, would you? Just such an innocent way. I mean, what's wrong with this? If the cross of Jesus Christ was fully removed, how could you cleanse yourself? It's not removed, but if you don't, pray, and if you don't cleanse yourself, the result is the same. It doesn't make any difference. The story is still the same. Sister Sharon is going to come and sing. I want you to bow your heads and seek the Lord as she sings. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. In the midst of his children, the Lord said that he would be. It doesn't take very many. It can be 
just two or three and I feel that same sweet spirit that I felt of times before surely I can say I've been with the Lord surely the presence of the Lord is in this place I can feel his mighty power and his grace I can hear the brush of angels wings I see glory on each face surely of the Lord is in this place there's a holy hush around us as God's glory fills this place I've touched the hem of his garment I can almost see his face and my heart is overflowing with the fullness of his joy I know without a doubt that I've been with the Lord of the Lord is in this place I can feel his mighty power and his grace I can hear the brush of angels wings I see glory on each face surely the presence of the Lord is in this place surely the presence of the Lord is in this place I can feel his mighty power and his grace I can hear the brush of angels wings I see glory on his face surely the presence of the Lord is in this place Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Can everybody sing it with me one more time? Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. 
His mighty power and His grace. You feel the Spirit of the Lord talking to you? Would you stand? I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Let's sing it again. I invite you to come. Give your heart to God. Why don't you come on and pray today? Step right out. You can come. Kneel on either side of the pulpit here or down in the front. We have Christian workers throughout the building. Be glad to come and pray with you. Come on right now. Come on. God is here and God loves you. God bless these who have come. Come on, if you just need a new, fresh touch of the Lord, why don't you come on today? Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel His mighty power. And His grace I can hear the brush of angels' wings I see glory on each face Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place as we sing it again, if you'd like to just be seated and pray right where you are, that would be fine. But make sure you pray before we dismiss today. God bless you for coming and being with us. Remember our 6 o'clock service this, e- this evening. His mighty power and His grace I can brush of angels' wings, I see glory on each face, surely